tonight. So I had lunch with Trey Fraley two, two or three weeks ago, something like that. Anyways, we had lunch. It was great. And uh, I realized that uh, I could use this week to kind of prep for the retreat. So I literally called him two weeks ago. I'm like, hey, dude, would you ever want to teach at 710? He's like, absolutely. I'm like, how about in two weeks? And he's like, oh, let me talk to my wife, which was a great answer. He did. And so he said he'd be willing to, to teach for us tonight. Uh, one of the things that I love about just being a part of the Redemption family is we have just access to sister congregations and friendships and relationships uh, in just really special ways. And Trey has been a young adult leader. Uh, he does way more than that at his church, uh, but he is an incredible uh, man of God. When I think of Trey, he just has like a joyful presence about him that like if you get to know him, I think Brock before this was like, he's the guy who's like just really happy. I'm like, yep, that's Trey. So uh, Trey's coming tonight to talk to us about the importance of seeking God's presence. Trey is uh, the family pastor at his church, which pretty much just means he does what I do and you add on like five other things and that's what Trey does for his job. So he oversees He's youth. He runs young adults at his church. Uh, he's the family pastor. Technically, that's his title. He does premarital counseling, all sorts of awesome stuff at Redemption Arcadia, if I didn't say that already. And so uh, we've already been having conversations about doing another uh, Redemption or just young adult worship night again here next semester. So I'm really excited to have Trey. Trey, you ready? Okay, Trey's ready. All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 84 and then give Trey a big, warm 710 welcome as he walks up. <laughs> Wow. Best introduction I've ever had. Thanks, dude. Um, you know what's cool about Corey? He's a genuine dude. I think you guys, some of you don't know him like personally, like very, very close, but a lot of you get to hear him preach. But I can tell you that the, the word of God has like touched his heart genuinely, and it's cool to see it in more spheres than just when he's preaching, because I don't ever get to hear him preach often. I only know him as a friend, and I get to do ministry with him, which is fun. But anyway, I am Trey, uh, Arcadia, family pastor, bunch of hats. Um, I love baseball. I was, yeah, let's go. I was really sad <clears throat> a little bit ago. My team got second. And then, you know what, I'm, I'm hesitant to tell you this because I don't know if this is going to resonate with any of you. I love NASCAR. I know, I like racing. Really? Stop. Okay, I'm a huge Kyle Larson dude, and he and he took second in the. Uh, I do. I actually was at the truck race on Friday. Anyway, we'll talk later. I like you. I did not know that was gonna. I thought you guys it was gonna be crickets, and then here we are. Okay, so go ahead and open up your Bibles. I'm gonna read this. Then we're gonna pray, and we'll jump in. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you would give us something like this. Every single uh, bit of this word that you've given was on purpose. And we read a lot of different psalms, and sometimes it seems like um, there's a lot of overlap. And sometimes we can read through the psalms and think, yeah, I've heard it before. But Lord, you intentionally gave this to us to nourish our soul, to be something that we would feed on, and not just once, but regularly. And no matter how long, even with this one psalm, if we were to meditate on it the rest of our life, we would never plummet its depths. Thankful for your living and active word. Lord, I pray tonight, as Isaiah 55 promises, that as your word goes out, it would not return void. I pray it would accomplish exactly what you would have it accomplish. And I pray tonight, us who are here, we would be um, benefiting from your word touching our hearts. Lord, I, I pray that we would not just leave knowing something more. Um, but Lord, I pray we'd be changed. I pray the way that we view you and your presence, I pray that the way that we view your generosity um, would be different and that that would change the way that we interact with you, the way that we interact with people. Lord God, bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Well, in the words of Ryan Gosling, what do you want? What do you want? If you don't know what I'm quoting, then the Lord bless you because it's a good thing. But uh, what do you want? What do you believe would give you, what do you want most? What's the thing that's going to give you that satisfactory thing? That feeling like this is what I want most in life. Maybe for you, it is to finish the class that you're in and you're just trying to get through to December, and you're like, I have a final, and then I'm done. And you're like, I'm almost there. And then I will be good. Maybe it's to finish school entirely and get a piece of paper that says that you finished school. Maybe instead of a piece of paper, it's because you're, you're trying to get an MRS degree. Maybe you're trying to get rid of your MRS degree. Do you guys know what an MRS degree is? Oh, goodness. Uh, so when you get married, you go from Ms. to Mrs., and you get MRS, but a lot of, you see where I'm going now? Yeah. A lot of people go to college and they're like, instead of like biology, I'm there for the MRS degree. Okay, I went to GCU. I don't know if you, any GCU people in here? No, okay, just a few. Then you guys would get it, ring by spring, you know what I'm saying? I got out. I went to GCU when the, when the whatever the ratio was, guys to girls, one to seven, and I got out single. You're welcome. So maybe it is to get that MRS degree. Um, maybe you're trying to get out of that apartment and get into a house because you want some space. And you're like, man, if I could just to this thing. Or maybe it's time that you own the house and start making the equity. Or maybe it's to get married and then, well, once I have a kid. Well, then once that kid is no longer a newborn because I don't sleep. Well, okay, I get it. Now they're new. Well, maybe once they're not an infant anymore because they try to eat everything. Or maybe once they're no longer a newborn, but they're actually a toddler, maybe when they're no longer a toddler because three-nager is rough, let me tell you. Uh, three-nager, uh, nobody's heard that? Okay. You've heard that? Okay. It's real. I'm telling you. 
Emotions are big. Anyway, I have a daughter. She's three. Darling. Very intelligent. Scares me. Uh, But maybe it's the next thing. And if you get it, then it's something else. The question is, what do you want? And I actually don't think that's the question. I know what you want. In our day of, like, individual expressivism, you're going to tell me, no, you don't, because I'm individual, and you don't know what I want. I do know what you want. You ready? You want the most to be happy. Everything that filters through what you think is good for you is going into the idea of what's going to give you the happiness that you want. Every single thing. Nobody does evil without first thinking that it's going to be good in some way or form. Thanos, okay? My boy Thanos. This guy didn't think he was just doing evil even though he was murdering half of the population of everything. He thought he was doing something good. I know this is ridiculous. I know that Marvel is way in the past now and nobody watches any of the shows that they're coming out with anymore. But the fact remains is when you do something, it's filtering through your decision-making of, is this good? And the good is defined by, will this get me to the happiness that I want? So the question is not, what do you want most? It's what will make you happy? What's going to give you that? The first thing I want us to go through as we read through this psalm is God's presence is the ultimate spring for your joy. Psalm 84, 1 and 2 says, How lovely is your dwelling place. By the way, that's a little promise that God's given you. How lovely is your dwelling place. The dwelling place of God is lovely. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs. Yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The source for singing for joy in verse 2 is verse 1, God's presence. Your dwelling place is lovely. When you feel the joy of God's presence, you long for it. Feeling the joy for God's presence is similar to a groom longing for the presence of his bride. Similar. It's not the same. We'll get into that, but... Uh, my wife's name's Hannah. When I met her, I was working at Dutch Bros. And I was working the window, and I was working the last shift with my friend, who was actually, I was a Young Life leader for a long time. She was one of my Young Life kids. She was about to go to college. I'm out of college at the time. We're going to Dutch, trying to go to paramedic school, because I want to be a paramagician and do really cool things. And then as these cool girls are coming through, my friend is threatening to write my number on a lid and give it to one of them. So she had, I'm kidding you not, and I'm like, no, you won't because our HR is going to call me if you do that. And so, and I knew she wouldn't, but she was teasing me and all these cute girls are going by and I'm like, oh, that one would have been great, you know? And then finally, I'm single and uh, finally Hannah rolls up and I'm telling you, she was looking good, okay? <laughs> she comes rolling up and she, my friend was no longer making drinks behind me. I didn't realize this. Another girl who happened to be in ministry at a different church um, heard our whole conversation, and 
I like tattoos. I got tattoos. My wife has a little cross on her pinky. I said I gave it away already. Okay, she's my wife. But uh, she's got a little cross on her pinky, and then she had like a little tattoo right here, and I couldn't read it, but I'm like, she must be a Christian. So I'm like, Lord, is this the one? Immediately. <laughs> you guys know how it is. You guys know how it is. So I, I, said, I said, what is that tattoo? She's like, it's a Bible verse. I said, what's it say? She says, let us run. And I go, Hebrews 12.1. Me being the theology nerd that I am, I go, who do you think wrote Hebrews? Do you think, it, and I just started going down this thing, and she's like, what is this guy saying? Ultimately, we had this long conversation. I bought her drink as a gentleman, which at Dutch Bros means I just didn't make you pay for it. <laughs> she was getting six shots of espresso, so I knew this, this girl was rad. And uh, she's on her way back to California. I was like, maybe I could forgive you for living in California. And uh, so I give her the six shots of espresso, and I say, later. She starts driving away. And I turn around, and I go, that would have been the perfect girl to give my number to. And then my friend goes, I knew it. Hits me out of the way, grabs the lid. I kid you not, jumps through the window. Total Dutch bros, right? Jumps through the window and yells, wait, and runs Hannah down, like full, full sprint. Gets to her, presumably out of breath. That was Trey. This is his number. You have to text him. She drives off. My friend Courtney comes back. And I go, what have you done? <laughs> this isn't going to be my first run-in with HR, people. And so she comes back in. Everybody's like, is she going to text you? And I'm like, no. Did you look at her? Just random dude who got her coffee. Of course, she's not going to text me. But I'm like checking my phone, you know. <laughs> the next day, she ends up texting me. She's like, if you ever in LA, let me know. And I'm like, I'm not letting this one get away. I was like, how about we Skype? Back then, <laughs> that's what we did. So we had, a few, we had a few Skype conversations. We talked on the phone. We couldn't be next to each other while we were dating states apart. And so she was in like the most godforsaken place ever, California. Am I right? Just kidding. So she's all the way over there. I hated the seven and a half hour drive to get to her North LA area. And I longed to be with her. We would talk. I'm telling you, I, you I, I'm probably, if I knew you well, I'd probably love you. I probably couldn't talk to you as long as I talked to Hannah on the phone because that's just not me, okay? On the phone for hours because I longed so much to be with her. When she ended up moving back to Arizona for some crazy dude, which was me, she moves back and I get to be with her. But then I take her on dates and I have to say goodnight and leave. And then we got married and I never have to do that again. I know her presence, and when I say goodnight, you guys get me. How many? Eight months? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, but longing for the presence of God is similar to a groom and a bride longing for their presence. Now, think to yourself. Think of the things that you long for, that you, yes, faint, dude, we were just talking about you. Sorry. We were just, you made a great sermon illustration. I wish you were here for it. We're not recording this, right? Oh, we are? You can listen to it later. So, where was I? Okay. Um, <clears throat> when you long for something, Think of the things that go through your mind. Think of the things you are not satisfied until you get it. 
okay? You're not satisfied until you're there. And I'm telling you, if we were honest with ourselves right now, we're longing for things that are not God's presence in ways so much more than we long for God's presence. Take a moment. Remember the first thing I asked. I said, what is it that you want? And I said, it's not about what you want. I said, what, what is it that's going to actually make you happy? And this says that my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Why? Because lovely is your dwelling place. God's presence is the ultimate spring for your joy. The second thing I want us to go into is when, when in God's presence, joy and praise inevitably flow. When in God's presence, joy, that happiness, and that praise inevitably flow. Verse three and verse four, it says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself when she may lay her young at your altars. Now we know altars are a form of worship. We lay down our sacrifice at the altar. So what is this saying? This is saying, even the birds have a place, all creation, everything, everyone has a place in your house when it comes to worshiping God. Why? Everything was made to worship God. When you find yourself worshiping, you find yourself at home. That's exactly what you were made for. When Jonathan said that you, he's like, oh, you guys probably wanted to, you guys wanted to keep singing. I kid you not, right there, I was like, this, I'm not ready for this to be done. One, because I loved singing with you guys. Also, because it is dang vibey in here. And this is, it was great. It was a great experience. But also, you guys have some talented people. Amazing. I love the work that they put in to prepare. I love the work that they did to lead us, that we would have a moment of genuinely singing true things about who God is and about our love for him and about uh, being fascinated with his goodness. But when you find yourself worshiping, you find yourself right at home. And in God's house, there's always a place for everything and everyone in all creation because we were made to worship the creator. Amen. Amen. Amen, indeed. When in God's presence, you cannot help but sing forth your praise from joy, and you will be blessed by it. Verse four says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. We'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, but many times we want the benefits of God, but we don't want to do it God's way. We want the benefits of God, and God's saying, what you really want is me. He does not just give you joy so that you can be happy. He gives you joy knowing it's what's best for you that you could throw it back at his feet in praise. We'll get into that a little bit more later. As we move on, the third thing is strength comes from aiming your whole life toward God. Strength comes from aiming your whole life toward God. Many of us like trail mix. I can't, I'm allergic to dairy, so I can't have the M&Ms. It's sad, I'm over it, okay. But trail mix, a lot of people, or maybe it's whatever the other mixes are, they pick out the raisins. You know what I'm saying? Because raisins are horrible. I don't care who you, if you like raisins, we have beef, okay? Because raisins are horrible. But the thing is, with God's word and with God himself, we cannot pick and choose and separate things. Strength comes when our whole life is aimed toward God. 
Verse five, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Zion is the, the holy hill that God, God's presence is at. So their highways of their heart are aimed towards Zion, the presence of God. As they go through the valley of Baca, some of you are like, what in the heck is that? Okay, valley of Baca is a place in Israel. But when you translate Baca, it actually means weeping. Or it means arid, like trees. And it is a place. It's an arid place. It's a valley that, and the lower you are, you'll notice. So like, what's the death valley that's like the hottest place in the United States? Um, the further down it is, the more arid, the more uh, hot, the more miserable. Weeping, okay? Tears. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion as they go through the valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. The early rain covers also it with pools. Pools here, many of you probably read ancient Hebrew. I know that you do. And pools is the same. So the way that Hebrew works is that it only has consonants. You read right to left. So lefties loved it because they didn't smudge. If my lefties in here get it, because when you write left to right, you just smudge, smudge, smudge. Okay, so the scribes, they're like, lefty, I know what you're doing. So they write right to left, but it's only consonants, and then the vowels are weird dots and squigglies. So then for a word, you'll have the same consonants. You might add something on the front or on the end to say the, or to say uh, an article at the end for something like that. But ultimately, it's the same root, which is just consonants. Pools here is the same word as blessings. So for the people who travel through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with blessings. The strength comes from aiming your whole life at God. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Hear my prayer. What is his prayer? For the presence of God. Strength in the Lord is not contingent on circumstances or a state of being or whether you're in the valley of weeping or whether you're in the valley of sleeplessness or whether you're in the valley of hunger. Some of you hangry people know what I'm talking about or whether you're in the valley of hurts, or whether you're in the valley of traumatic experience, or you're in the valley of loss of someone or something precious to you, the strength in the Lord makes a place of tears into a place of spas and healing. Spas and blessings. This strength knows no breaks, and the water here flows uphill. Notice they're in a valley, and they're traveling to the Mount Zion. The waters of their heart flows uphill, and these are waters that you can't dam back. Nothing stops. Fourth thing is even a minuscule amount of God's presence is more pleasant than an infinite amount of anything else. Even a minuscule amount of God's presence is more pleasant than an infinite amount of anything else. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, if people just accepted me and appreciated me, then I know that I would have that happiness I'm longing for. I know it. 
verses 9 through 12 through 10. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. It is better to feel the discomfort of being outside God's house than feeling the warm and cozy space inside the tent of wickedness. It's better to die in God's presence than live anywhere else. Where in your life are we trading God's presence to be accepted into someone else's presence? What are we compromising in what we know is not all of our life so that we can have some of God's presence, but I really want some of this other presence? I could start listing a bunch of things that are probably true. The presence of God is worth forsaking all else. I think of Jesus talking about this parable of a guy who trades everything, sells everything so he can buy a field because there's treasure in it. Or selling everything to have this beautiful pearl. Notice he didn't go back in the parable and say, I wonder how much this is. I'm just going to spend about half of this so that I can have that treasure and all this. I traded everything so that I could have this. That, that whole aiming your whole life, that's what God's talking about. The presence of God is worth forsaking all else. And a minuscule of God's presence is better than an infinite amount of anything or anyone else's presence. Number five, this is the last big point. God is perfectly generous. God is perfectly generous. Now, I stink at gift giving. I don't know if you're good at it. I don't know if that's your love language. I'm the worst at it. I'm really bad. Uh, when I was young, my dad told me, you should get gifts that when you go to a birthday party, you can play with because that will be a good gift. I said, dad, that's a great idea. I was 16 years old. I was playing football. I finished football, didn't take a shower, went to my friend's sweet 16 party, uh, drove myself over, sweaty and gross, and I had gotten a really great, I just came from football, I love football. Who doesn't love football? I got a Nerf football, because I'm going to a birthday party. What can we play with at a park that's at a Nerf football? This is great, I love it, great idea. I show up, people don't like the stinky guy. Okay, I get it, but I brought a Nerf football, people chill. I give it to my friend. Her name's Natalie. I won't say last name in case any of you know her. I give her this gift. I'm like, dude, I'm pumped. She's going to pick it up and be like, let's play a game. She opens it up and she goes, oh, thanks. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I did it. I did it again. I messed up. I did not get her the thing that she wanted. I'm so bad at gift giving. I'm so bad at it. My wife is really good at it. So I've just said that she's the gift giver. She's also really aesthetic. She painted our patio in our backyard and it looks beautiful. She painted the concrete. I'm like, why would you do that? And it looks great and now I want to be outside. It's great. But she knows what to give people and she's good at giving things. She's a good gift giver. Here's the thing. God's gift giving beats everything else. And his gift giving isn't always the thing you think that you wanted. But it is the thing that you should want. 
God is infinitely, perfectly generous. He gives the absolute best and never withholds what is good to those who walk uprightly. Look at what it says in verse 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. What a promise. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's interesting that it talks about God seeing you and appreciating you first, and then it says that God is generous. It says the Lord God is a sun and shield. I think of this warmth. I think he shows so that I can see my enemies. Safety, shield, protecting. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Those are words we probably don't use a ton here, but if I said the Lord sees you, appreciates you, and cares about you, that would be the same thing in today's vernacular. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and then he goes into, look, I love you, I want what's best for you, I'm gonna withhold nothing that's good for you. Nothing that is good for me. Uh, God loves you more than you love you. God knows what's best for you more than you know what's best for you. But yet we try to coach God on how he should do things and what he should give us. And we think that when we pray, we're aligning him to us. But in the words of John Stott, prayer is emphatically not aligning God's will to ours, but aligning ours to his. Uh, my son, he's one. He, we had his first birthday on Saturday. He eats everything. He picks everything up and puts it in his mouth. Has no discernment. And me being the loving dad that I am, I save his life and take things away from him so he doesn't choke. He loves to chew. We had balloons for his birthday. He loves to chew on the little end of it. It pops. He wants to chew on it. I say, that's a choking hazard. Paramedic, I know things. If you don't breathe, you die. So I take it away. Guess what? He's really upset with me. And he cries. And he throws a fit. And we're teaching him the whole don't throw a fit thing. But he's one. Dad wants abundant life for him. So I will do what I need to do and give him or take away from him the things I need to give or take away for his good, because I will withhold nothing good from my son with the good parts of me. I'm sure there's fleshly sinfulness. Any parents in the room probably get me. Any not parents in the room also probably get me. Believing God is perfectly generous lets you be perfectly content in any situation. Because you trust, you actually trust that God is giving you exactly what you need and exactly what is good for you. Verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The one who trusts in God is the one who walks uprightly. Every time that you sin, you are not believing that God is generous. You're believing that God is withholding something good from you. You're wanting to take something because you believe it is good for you and it will give you the happiness you so deeply desire. But even though the tree looks good for food, even though it seems like God is keeping something good from you in knowing the knowledge of good and evil, your curiosity gets the best of you because you believe that knowing is better than not knowing. Every time we sin, it's because we don't trust that God is generous 
Blessed is the one who trusts in you. God being perfectly generous is a tremendous promise because it means you can remind yourself in the time of temptation that no sin will give you your happiness like God's being in pre- God's like being in God's presence will. God withholds nothing good, even himself. God withholds nothing good even when it greatly costs him. If any of you know Dustin Kinsrew, who was thrice, which probably none of you know thrice, but he was a band guy, and he wrote a song in thrice, and um, also just Dustin Kinsrew had worship music. One of my boys, I've been in youth, I did youth ministry for a really long time. One of the guys, when he's in middle school or high school, early high school, was like, hey, when I turn 18, will you get a tattoo with me? So I was like, yeah, I'll get a tattoo. I'm like probably 20 or something at the time. And then he turned, he turned 18, and he's like, Trey, are we doing this? I said, yes, we are. What are we doing? And he wanted to get a band on his arm that said, costly grace you freely give. And I was like, I love it. I'm not getting a band on my arm. Uh, so instead, I got the costly grace you freely give on the inside of my arm. So now I have a shared tattoo with my buddy. Um, I just got to see him today. But God withholds nothing good from you, even when it costs him greatly, and he gives it to you freely. If that's not generosity, I don't know what is. God paid for something that was so expensive, it took, the most ex- it took the most expensive currency the world has ever seen, Christ's blood itself. And he paid it willingly. It says for the, in Romans, tw- okay, or Hebrews 12. Remember I talked about it? That's the part where me and my wife got together. Remember that? Let us run the race. Uh, a little bit later, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus didn't just go willingly, but joyously, knowing that him tasting sorrow so that you could taste joy was worth it. Because God withholds nothing good even when it costs him greatly. God is perfectly and infinitely generous. To give you of himself is to give you an infinite thing. What's crazy is that the best thing for you is not something God gives, but God himself. Knowing this, God will remove anything that keeps you from him if you're his, and that's a good thing. He'll also give you hard things if it brings you closer to him because that's even better than being comfortable. God will, get this, give you a disease of the body to heal you of the disease of the heart because he cares for what's actually good for you, not what the one-year-old thinks is going to satisfy him, which is putting something in his mouth, but ultimately might kill him. Jesus was so generous that he gave himself, and God's presence is forever in those who have faith. This is what's crazy to me. Before Jesus comes, people had to go to the temple to know God's presence. Then Jesus comes and he makes you the temple. When you don't think it, when you don't feel it, when you think, I'm just going to put this out of my mind so I can do the thing I want, and you grieve the spirit in you, God has made and taken up residence in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, and yet God's given you something of infinite value, himself, and he resides in you. 
There's something special. Yes, God is omnipresent. There's something special about the presence in a Christian. And then there's something like special about the presence in a Christian who, like Jonathan was saying, calls it to mind. God's presence is, I'll read these again, the ultimate spring for your joy. When in God's presence, joy and praise inevitably flow and strength comes from aiming your whole life toward God. Even a minuscule amount of God's presence is more pleasant than an infinite amount of anything else and God is perfectly generous. There are three times that it says in this chapter, blessed is, and I'm gonna read them for you and then, and then, that'll, and then I'll pray and then that will be, um, we'll close up. Verse four, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Verse five, blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Heavenly Father, give us this psalmist's heart. Let us be able to say with all of our heart that lovely is your dwelling place and that our soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of our Lord. Lord, protect us from anything that is distracting or pacifying us from what you would have from, for us, which is yourself. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would take your word as you always do and bring fruit, not because of the one sowing the seed, but because of the power in the seed itself, the gospel itself. Lord, we do not, I know that we do not graduate from the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. We just grow deeper into it. Lord, let us see and, and understand more the intricacies of your, your gospel and how that works with your presence. I pray our prayer lives would be grown and challenged and changed. I pray that our time of worship would be grown and challenged and changed. Um, and I pray a blessing on these folks as we get to close in worship, that it would lead us to more worship. God, thank you for your word. And all these things we lay at your feet. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.